हेलो नमस्ते वेलकम ऑल फॉर द नेक्स्ट इंडिया सेंटर सीरीज ऑफ वेबिनार्स दैट वी हैव बीन रनिंग फॉर नाउ ऑलमोस्ट एटीन मंथ्स वी आर वेरी हैप्पी प्रिवलेज टू बी होस्टिंग प्रोफेसर दिलीमा शुक्ला भट्ट फ्रॉम वेलसली यूनिवर्सिटी इन बॉस्टन मैसेचुसेट्स यूनाइटेड स्टेट्स ऑफ अमेरिका प्रोफेसर दिलीमा हैज बीन अ फ्रीक्वेंट गेस्ट एंड वेल विशर ऑफ लॉन्ग वेल विशर ऑफ फ्लेम यूनिवर्सिटी एंड सो शी हैज बीन शी हैज बीन माई ओन colleague and friend also for a long time and also friend and colleague of flame university for a long time so very happy to host be hosting her uh let me quickly read her bio and then i'll give it to professor nilima uh nilima shukla bhatt is a professor of religion and south asian studies at wellesley college wellesley massachusetts she obtained her phd in the study of religion from harvard university in 2003 She is the author of Nursing Mehta of Gujarat: A Legacy of Bhakti in Songs and Stories, 2015, and co-author with Surendra Bhana of A Fire That Blazed in the Ocean, Gandhi and Poem of Satyagraha in South Africa, 1909 to 1911, that came in 2011. She has published numerous articles in peer-reviewed books and journals, focusing mainly on the devotional poetry of medieval India and women's religious expressions. Welcome, Professor Bhatt. Floor is yours. Good evening. Good evening to those in India and good morning to those in the states. Um, my presentation today is titled "Gandhi's Rasa in Gandhi's uh, Moral Journey," and this has I need to uh, clarify that I am not presenting it as an argument. but as an exploration uh as we know gandhi as a public figure has been a subject of intense debates during his lifetime and also after his lifetime the news of vandalization of his statues and uh, uh postings on social media indicate that he still remains as a public figure he still remains um, subject of uh, intense debates but my interest in gandhi has been as a complex human being whose public life spanned over half a century and my question as i started looking at his life and works was what is it that sustained him for such a long public life for anyone who goes through the kind of struggles and setbacks as well as uh, some uh, uh, successes in their lives they know that in pub you to sustain such a long public life the some inner resource is needed and i was looking for what it was for gandhi so generally because of his recurrent references to the gita and the ramayana of uh, tulsidas ramcharitmanas uh these religious resources are seen as providing him with uh, moral inspiration and some kind of inner strength but as i started exploring this question further what i discovered during my work on this two project uh, that uh, professor jain mentioned there was i thought i started seeing that what sustained gandhi in his public life was an ardent quest which was which synthesized the moral dimension with the aesthetic dimension it was a search for rasa uh, a, a a search for aesthetic joy that was intrinsically linked to a strenuous moral endeavor and what is more interest what i found more interesting was that the, this quest was not marked by certainty of a person 
who is sure of himself, but rather with vulnerability, a kind of humility that is an essential part of intense striving. So in this presentation, I will only present what I have discovered. And I want to begin with a snapshot that Pyarelal has provided in his work on the last phase of Gandhi's life. Depicting this, a scene from 29th of January, 1948, the eve of Gandhi's uh, assassination, he writes that Gandhi was in a very intensely uh, troubled state. He's, he was asking, where will all this take us? He was in Delhi, the capital of a newborn nation torn apart by violence and communal hatred. And Gandhi was asking, where will this take us? Where do I stand? What must I do to realize unruffled calm and serenity in the midst of this disquiet? And then with what Pyarelal terms infinite sadness, he repeated a verse of the 18th century Urdu poet, Nazir. And that verse is, hai bahare baage dunia chandaros, chandaros, dekhlo iska tamasha chandaros. And the translation parallel gives is, short-lived is the splendor of spring in the garden of world. Watch the show, the brave show, while it lasts. The uh, while it lasts is a translation of Chandros, like a few days. And Gandhi did not even have a day before uh, when he was reciting these lines. But this poignant, poignant depiction of Gandhi's state on the eve of his death draws attention to a few aspects of what stirred in the recesses of his mind during the last days, which was in this uh, phase of his life was spent in an increasingly critical public gaze. The aspects that I found were first that Gandhi acknowledged that he, he was in some ways failing. He was shaken and was unsure about where he stood. The search for a way to fruitfully serve people in a constantly shifting context was a painful struggle, often without the hope of finding any answers. Second, despite of the acuteness of this struggle, he believed that there was an unruffled calm and serenity to be realized in the midst of this terrible chaos. And thirdly, in that moment of intense turmoil, he found at least a fleeting solace in an aesthetic expression. And that was the words of a poet. So I was struck by this. And <clears throat> uh, I realized that I had to, there was something substantial here and I had to explore this further. With Gandhi's life, his quest ended. Had he reached the goal of finding an unruffled calm and serenity in the midst of turmoil? Most likely not. But what the snapshot of the last evening of Gandhi's life brings into focus is the nature of his quest. And I was pleased to know that several scholars have paid at least some attention to this aspect. For Anthony Parel, a noted Gandhi scholar uh, in his uh, article, Aesthetics and Action in Gandhi's Political Philosophy, he suggests that Gandhi was an artist in the Tolstoyan sense. That is, he followed a path of action, but 
he embraced it as a transformative ex experience uh, that art offers. So I was, uh, uh, as I further explored, I was, I started reading his autobiography to, uh, as I was working on the, my monograph on Narsi Mehta. And the last paragraph of his autobiography in Gujarati struck me. And I would like to share it with you. Uh, the Gujarat, his Gujarati prose is really fine, uh, but uh, I will present it in my translation. I would like to share my screen. Um, just a minute. I don't know if it, uh, can you see it? Let me just make it bigger. Can you see it? Yes, yes, you can see. Okay. You see a translation here. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I also have it in Hindi. Uh, I'll just read a few lines from there. मैं प्रतिक्षण अनुभव करता हूं कि शुद्धि का यह मार्ग विकट है शुद्ध बनने का अर्थ है मन से वचन से और काया से निर्विकार बनना राग द्वेष से रहित होना इस निर्विकार तक तक पहुंचने का प्रतिक्षण प्रयत्न करते हुए भी मैं पहुंच नहीं पाया हूं इसलिए लोगों की स्तुति मुझे भुलावे में नहीं डाल सकती उल्टे यह स्तुति प्राय तीव्र वेदना पहुंचाती है मन के विकारों को जीतना संसार को शस्त्र युद्ध से जीतने की अपेक्षा मुझे कठिन मालूम होता है हिंदुस्तान आने के बाद भी मैं अपने भीतर छुपे हुए विकारों को देख सका हूं शर्मिंदा हुआ हूं किंतु हारा नहीं हूं सत्य के प्रयोग करते हुए मैंने आनंद लूटा है और आज भी लूट रहा हूं लेकिन मैं जानता हूं कि अभी मुझे विकट मार्ग तय करना है जिसके लिए मुझे शून्यवत बनना है मनुष्य जब तक स्वेच्छा से अपने को सबसे नीचे नहीं रखता तब तक उसे मुक्ति नहीं मिलती अहिंसा नम्रता की पराकाष्ठा है और यह अनुभव सिद्ध बात है कि इस नम्रता के बिना मुक्ति कभी नहीं मिलती ऐसी नम्रता के लिए प्रार्थना करते हुए और उसके लिए संसार की सहायता की याचना करते हुए इस समय तो मैं अपने इन प्रकरणों को बंद करता हूं सो द वर्ड आनंद हियर इन ओरिजिनल गुजराती इज रसा एंड हियर इज माय ट्रांसलेशन ऑफ दैट पैराग्राफ आई एक्सपीरियंस एवरी मोमेंट दैट द पाथ ऑफ सेल्फ प्यूरिफिकेशन इज आर्डुअस अटेनिंग परफेक्ट यूनिटी डिमांड्स बिकमिंग एंटायरली ब्लेमिश फ्री in mind speech and body getting rid of all attachments and envy this despite ceaseless striving i have not reached that state that is why people's praise does not delude me in fact the praise often pains me conquering my passions seems to me even more difficult than difficult uh, defeating the whole world in an armed conflict even after coming to india i have been realizing my hidden passions i have felt ashamed but i have not accepted defeat i have enjoyed rasa in conducting my experiments with truth and i am enjoying it even today but i know that i still have to tread a difficult path for it i have to become absolutely egoless shunyavat until a person willingly put him puts himself last there is no liberation for him ahinsa is the furthermost limit of humility and it is attested by experience that liberation is never attainable without such humility praying for that humility and urging for the world support in it for now i bring these chapters to a close so i was sorry 
I was struck by the use of the term rasa. And it was clear in this paragraph for me that for him experiments with truth was an experience of rasa. And I found uh, a resonance to my thought, my observation in another uh, scholar, uh, in the writings of another scholar of Gandhi, C.N. Patel, who was also one of the chief editors of uh, collected works of Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, in his chapter on Gandhi in Gujarati Sahitya no Ityas, the history of Gujarati literature, C.N. Patel uh, says that Gandhi's prose has a touch of Kavi Chetana. It is, uh, he says, uh, for he says that his prose is more of that of a person who has a poetic sensibility. And for in support of his argument, he presents a few paragraphs from Gandhi's writings. Uh, striking among them is a paragraph on uh, Julu men and women, uh, their, the beauty of their bodies, and which he observed in South Africa and the rhythm in their movements. And so C.N. Patel thinks that Gandhi's reading of Gita also is not that of a philosopher of ethics. It is that of a person who enjoys poetry. And I found at least one uh, part of his letter to uh, Mahadev Desai in 1929, when he, Gandhi was in Kausani, uh, the Himalayas, I found that uh, to be supporting Patel's observation. There, Gandhi writes, I'm sitting in the lap of the Himalayas and this greatest of rishis clad in the white and bathing in sun rays, is absorbed in his bliss. His samadhi is enviable and the solitude here is unmatched in its richness. So, uh, but what I was discovering was in, uh, it, it kind of put it in contrast uh, with my perception of Gandhi's approach to art as utilitarian, which I had, uh, that was my perception earlier. But I found these references to Rasa and Kavi Chetana in both Gandhi's and C.N. Patel's writings quite substantial and uh, explored it further. So of, my question then became, of the nine well-known Rasas of Indian, Indian aesthetics, the erotic, humor, wonder, heroism, anger, fear, disgust, and peacefulness. Uh, which one were they referring to? I gradually started seeing that for Gandhi, the ultimate rasa that he was referring to was Shantarasa, the rasa of peacefulness, that the 10th century philosopher Abhinav Gupta has uh, written about, and uh, he, Abhinav Gupta, the aesthetician, has uh, put Shantarasa as above all. He considers Shantarasa or that of peacefulness, which is marked by withdrawal from uh, the world. And as parallel in mystical place. And he considers this to be an essential part of all experience of art, uh, all aesthetic experience. So I thought, I, I started seeing, observing that this rasa, the concept of this rasa can be used to understand the aesthetic sensitivity and untangle to a degree, the paradox 
paradoxes, not just one paradox, several paradoxes that mark Gandhi's life and his approaches, his approach to art. So if you look at Gandhi's aesthetics, it too is based on detachment and withdrawal from exuberance of life. It is rooted in a sense of wonder about nature and its beauty, but generally it is inwardly focused. For example, in an issue of Young India in 1924, he wrote that all true art is an expression of beauty of the artist's soul and that it helps the enjoyer to realize it, his inner self. So it was for him, art also was a means to, for transformation, inner transformation. So expressing such an aesthetic sense, he used a minimalist, minimalist approach, uh, using the minimum possible and shedding all that he found unhelpful in cultivating the self and leading to the experience of tranquility. Uh, we can see this, not just in his writings, uh, which were kind of, he did not, his uh, prose in Gujarati especially, uh, did not use any one word more than needed. And uh, this is uh, also seen in other aspects of his life. Uh, I'll just briefly go through. Just a minute. Can you see? Can you see it? Yes, yes. Okay. So, as we in, in his attire, this is young Gandhi uh, in his teenage years. And as we can see, as we all know well, uh, as his life went on, his attire became more and more minimalist. Uh, and similarly, even in his residences, uh, I don't have a picture of his South Africa bigger residence, but uh, on the here you find uh, his house in Porbandar, where he was born, and then gradually in South Africa, and then in Sabarmati Ashram, and then in Varda, even more minimalist uh, approach you can see. And then uh, I want to take you to the next slide, which is, uh, and this kind of observation that his approach to art was minimalist, but for with a purpose is also made by a scholar of art, art history. Her name is Stephanie Chadwick. And uh, Jeff, uh, Stephanie Chadwick wrote about a painting by a painter named Barnett Newman, B.I., uh, which was included in an exhibition uh, in Houston, Texas by Menil Collection. Uh, and it was titled Experiments with Truth, Gandhi and Images uh, and Visual Images. Uh, so in that uh, exhibition, this was included. Uh, it was not, it was focused on Gandhi and Gandhi's thought, but it also included works of other artists. And Stephanie Chadwick, uh, talking about this painting, says that even though Barnett Newman never met Gandhi, they never exchanged any uh, ideas, they, they shared a, this approach of using the minimal. Now in this painting, there is just one line dividing a surface and you, there is nothing to engage the eyes except that line. And that according to Chadwick is a more inclusive approach because 
Barnett Newman himself believed in uh, making art accessible and he stood for uh, ethics of inclusivity. So Stephanie Chadwick says that in, oh gosh, just a minute. Uh, that in this, Newman and Gandhi shared a concern. Gandhi, by making everything very simple, his residences, he, he made himself and his residences approachable by people from all uh, layers of society. And Chadwick concluded that in his, in its minimal aesthetics based on the ethics of inclusivity, Newman's B.I. offered a counterpart to Gandhi's ascetic life. I suggest that it offered an American counterpart of ethical, ethical aesthetics to Gandhi's, Gandhian aesthetics of Shantarasa. So uh, if we look at Gandhi's aesthetics in this manner, what we find is that it is inclusive in some ways, but it is also constructive. It, it puts constraints. This was a difficult uh, aesthetics to follow uh, by people who were close to him. And his insistence on simplicity and accessibility also led to a utilitarian approach in literature and art. Uh, he stressed that art should speak to millions and not require any special knowledge. Uh, when he Gandhi was the um, president of Gujarati Sahitya Parishad in 1936, he made remarks that were uh, very critical of literature of that time. And he criticized flowery language and he insisted that the literature should be accessible to common people. Uh, he also criticized many novels of that time. So, <clears throat> and in that he put, uh, it was seen as putting con constraints on artistic freedom. But as Audesh Kumar Singh wrote in 2009, uh, Gandhi was no, did not see himself as an expert on literature. And if we also do not see him as a, an expert on literature, we can see Gandhi's questions as leading to a debate. And indeed, that debate, which was started by Gandhi in some ways, uh, was very influential. It, and it led uh, in a period that was called Gandhi Yug from 1930s to 1950s uh, in Gujarati literature. Uh, it deeply stirred the literary imagination and come led writers to see the lives of the marginalized as worthy themes for literary works. So in this, he contributed to Gujarati literature in a significant manner. As in, uh, as in literature, his approach to painting was also that uh, somewhat utilitarian. In a personal letter to parents of a young man who wanted to study painting, uh, Gandhi encouraged the parents to let him study painting and not anything, uh, and, and, I mean, formal, more formal education. He, read, uh, he wrote, painting is silent music. And if he, uh, when he becomes a painter, if he paints, uh, of, I mean, makes paintings that offer a higher moral ground to people than ins uh, inspiration to people, then it will be good public service. But here too, his approach was utilitarian. And in his use of music, which I have written about, uh, he used bhajans 
and also to sometimes uh, ghazals like that of Nazir that uh, I mentioned earlier uh, in his ashrams, in interfaith prayers, and also in public gatherings. Uh, his favorite was, of course, Vaishnava Janato by Narsi Mehta. And what I found was in his own writings, I found was that his focus on this form of music was mainly because it was popular among the masses. And it provided, singing of bhajans provided a ready platform to bring people together. And so uh, to an extent that was also a utilitarian approach to music and painting to bring uh, in public service. So clearly in Gandhi's views, the measure of great art was how it serves people, especially the disadvantaged ones and how it uh, offers moral transformation. But in his extensive communications with, uh, about art with Roma Rola, and Dilip Kumar Roy, I found something even more deeper. Uh, here he asserts emphatically that life is more sacred than art. And life in its totality is art. In an interview with Dilip Kumar Roy, who was happy to learn that Gandhi was not averse to art, as he had heard, he, uh, Gandhi explained that he was greatly moved by art, but he held that life is and must be greater than all arts put together. For this reason, value of art is in how it enables, ennobles life. Life is art. The basic function of art is to serve life and he valued it as Gandhi valued it as such. Uh, he stressed that art should show great awareness about the world. It should be deeply aware of life. Here, Gandhi's concern with life is in more, it's more fundamental sense. He speaks of life itself as art and the social awareness as one aspect of it. Ethical action and beauty, which were linked in his writings since his first Satyagraha, were also getting tied to search for a deeper spiritual meaning of life here. So, but as, as we, uh, I kept exploring, I also saw that his aesthetic sensitivity was fraught with paradoxes. In its exclusive stress on public good, Gandhi's view was constraining for artistic freedom. But paradoxically, paradoxically, it was empowering for social activism. In its minimalist approach, it was an effective channel for connecting with the marginalized. And yet it was very difficult for his followers to embrace. So why was it so important for Gandhi that he, as we know that he made such, some strict rules about uh, living in his ashrams and all his followers for his, all his followers. And uh, all of this was in some ways connected to his minimalist aesthetics. But why was it important for Gandhi to incorporate this into his public life? Why was it not sufficient that he enjoyed literary, visual, and performative genres that had the potential to evoke Shantarasa and nurture his own personal moral journey? Why did he want to bring them into public platform? The answer may lie in his sense of self. Gandhi identified with the suffering multitudes of India and aspired for their transformation too. And he yearned for them to have that transformative experience of Shantarasa. Uh, but for all his striving 
as C.N. Patel has written in a very fine essay, Tragedy Jivanma Ane Sahityama, that is tragedy in life and literature. Patel says, it presents Gandhi's life as a colossal tragedy. And he points out that with all his striving in his personal life and in the, uh, the moments following the independence of India, which were the last months of his life, this experiment tragically failed. As Tagore, had, the visionary, had, ex, I mean, had feared many years ago. But still, till his last breath, Gandhi certainly marched on in what one may call a rasatmak journey. His search for unruffled calm and serenity in the midst of disquiet. There are other scholars like Nicholas Gear and John Clamer who have written more recently. C.N. Patel uh, wrote in the uh, later part of the 20th century, but uh, Nicholas Gear has written in 2001 and John Clamer in uh, 2021, where they see Gandhi as subordinating various colors of life to that one ethical dimension, to that one rasa. And, but he, engage, he did not dismiss engaging with life uh, with imagination. And Nicholas Gear in an essay comparing Confucius and Gandhi called their aesthetics, aesthetics of virtue, which were not based on any kind of philosophical statements, but rather leading, integrating uh, that kind of uh, an aesthetic current within one's own life. So I'll stop there and uh, uh, let's open it up for conversation. Thank you, Professor Bhatt. Uh, and we have uh, about 12 participants uh, and uh, participants will have to type their questions apparently in the Q&A box, which I'll have to read out. This is a different type of Zoom setting this today. Unfortunately, I don't know if uh, our tech support Adil can help us by opening their cameras. If not, please type your questions on the question answer uh, window. Uh, I see, I think Tarani Avastiya, Shilpita, Mitra. Uh, so Dr. Mitra, could you, would you like to start with your question? And then I'll go, go to Dr. Avastiya. Uh, please type your question in the Q&A window. Question and answer, okay. Dr. Avastiya's question, comment. Uh, Thanks so much for a, such a wonderful talk. I had a few related thoughts. It will take up a minute to type it out. Okay. Yeah, I wish we could open the camera and microphone for all. It's like different setting today we are trying. And apparently only. Yeah, I, was just, I was just trying to rush it because I thought that it will, I wanted yeah. to leave more time for uh, right, right. conversation. Oh, I can. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Uh, thank you. you. Uh, so, I um, one. I think. Thank you so much. Uh, I think it's really important because um, a real genealogy of Gandhi's thought, I feel like, still remains a desideratum. And although there have been some beginnings, I think we still have a long way to go. And I was really intrigued by your analysis of. The use of rasa at the end of the autobiography. You, of course, referred to um, to Abhinav Gupta, but I had a couple other times uses of rasa, which, of course, may or may not have directly influenced Gandhi. But I think they were there in the broader cultural history of South Asian. I think, as especially, um, there is a passage in the Yoga Sutra commentary where yeah. it says, "Dhana bhyasa rasena cha." 
through mm-hmm. the rasa of the practice of meditation and i think that's a use of rasa which is relatively understudied and i think might might be particularly relevant to the rasa that gandhi felt in his pursuit of truth correct thank you thank you yes my other question was and i have wondered about this what do you think might be the relationship between uh, gandhi and pushti marga which was of course so influential in gujarat and they had their own you they have their own use of rasa oh yes thank you for asking that question it's a very complex history of gandhi's relationship with uh, uh, it, it was not always easy uh, with pushtimar sure uh, pushtimar of course has uh, its own very well developed sophisticated uh, aesthetics uh, but during the early years of uh, gandhi's return uh, from south africa to india there there was a great deal of debate between gandhi and a few leading gujarati intellectuals and some of them were from uh, the pushti marga uh, community and <clears throat> what uh, gandhi it is very interesting that in uh, pushti marg uh, it is krishna's life in all its colorfulness that is at the center and even uh, in gandhi's uh, discussion of nar gandhi refers to narsimeta again and again in his writings but he never refers to any of those poems of narsimeta which are focused on krishna leela so uh, and because of his uh, uh, like his debates with uh, pushti margi uh, the leaders of pushti marg in the early experience uh, because he was challenged that he was not a vaishnava in the early uh, when he came back and he uh, his answer to this in two long uh, essays was that he identified as a vaishnava he had a right to be identified as a vaishnava because he identified himself as vaishnava by the definition given by narsimeta which is in vaishnava janato and so uh his gandhi's family of course was pushtimarki and uh, pushtimark has a very sophisticated rasa i mean aesthetics but uh, gandhi had a kind of a complicated relationship with that thank you and uh, if professor jain allows i have one tiny little thing more to say yeah yeah please go um you referred to at the beginning uh how gandhi's life was so full of struggle and you tied it up with his pursuit of rasa particularly the shanta and that reminded me of what anandavardhan says in the dhanya loka in on yeah. which of course um Anurag Gupta comments, which is that he says that the rasa of the Mahabharata is shanta because shanta is really nirveda, right? Which is to say, right at the end of all the nonsense that happens in the Mahabharata, you're left with a feeling of this is all essentially useless. You don't win even if you do everything right. So let's right. turn to Krishna. Right. Yeah, and I, I, you are absolutely right. I have all this in my essay that is coming out. I can't wait to read. I wanted to just make it brief, so I cut all that part about Ananda Vargana and uh, uh, Abhinav Gupta. I yes, really look yes. forward to reading your essay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, Professor Nilima. Yes. I am Ananta here, Ananta Giri. Yes. And- Hello, Professor Joyen. I had met you both, and it has been very enriching listening to you. And you would be happy to know that I'm listening to you from Gandhi Museum, Madurai, oh, where wow. we are in in a non-violent economy network. And as I'm listening to you, there's a beautiful dance performance of Gandhi Mohan and Kasturba, and thank you for your deep offering. i just wish to offer two queries yes one this whole uh, practice of minimality huh. there is a difference between minimalism and minimality now what gandhi is embodies especially your your beginning 
reference to making oneself uh, humble and zero, it yeah. is a kind of minimality, which is not minimalism. Correct. And that yeah. minimality is also the generative ground of an abundance. And so that way, the dialogue between Gandhi and Tagore has to be looked at into the integral reality of abundance experienced differently. And so this is my first query. The second is that in terms of Russia, it is so deep, especially Santarasa. Now that Santarasa in Gandhi, especially peace among religion and peace in religion, it also emerges from an embodied uh, experience of the diversity of religious spirituality. In mm -hmm. case Gandhi, uh, Islam and Christianity also, and not right. to mention the Anekantabada. So I wish to request you to reflect upon this Santa Rasa also emerging from this practice of uh, interreligious, not only dialogue, but a kind of a trans-religious living in Gandhi, where all these religions have been experienced as religions of peace. Thank you. Uh, first to your first query uh, about minimality and minimalism. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for your comments. Uh, I was just, uh, again, as I, I would say that this was a very, like, I want, I have a long essay that is coming out and all of this is in the essay, but I had to cut it short for this presentation. And uh, you are absolutely right. The debate between Gandhi and Tagore, which, uh, if, on which Anthony Parel has, has discussed it at length, uh, that is a part of that essay. And when I used the, uh, I was quoting Stephanie Chadwick and not uh, using minimalism as uh, my own term. So in, uh, I agree with you. And uh, I, I would uh, suggest that when, when it comes out, I don't know these days the presses are, it is already with the editor, the essay is with the editor, the editor, but I don't know when it will come out, but it has been written. Uh, and the, for uh, the second one also, in Ashram Bhajanavali, when you say Ashram Bhajanavali is, it uses the term, Bhajan, but it is really about uh, the experience of Shantarasa as it uh, is uh, like as people experience it in all religious communities. It is not uh, tied to this or that kind of religious identity. And uh, as we know, one of his Gandhi's favorite hymns was Lead Kindly Light, which was actually then translated into, that's a Christian hymn. And this Ebahare Bhagadunia Chandaros is, was a ghazal. So I, uh, that aspect of Shantarasa, which is, uh, because aesthetic experience is beyond religion anyway. So in, in that sense, it is an overarching, it provides a platform that brings people together. And therefore, the bhajan, Vaishnava Janato, why he selected that bhajan as kind of his own emblem, musical emblem, was that he had seen in his, from his South Africa days, where he had gathered a community of Hindus, Christians, Muslims, Parsis, all together uh, in this uh, Vaishnava Janat, when they sang Vaishnava Janato, actually uh, Christians and Muslims also loved it so much that they would uh, request the singers, the Gujarati singers, to insert the word Christian uh, instead of Vaishnava Janato, they would ask the singers to uh, sing it as Christian Janato or Muslim Janato. So it was, uh, it, he had seen that this kind of aesthetics, which uh, lead, I mean, Shantarasa is shared beyond religious boundaries. And therefore that was especially uh, appealing to the, this 
uh, bhajan was especially uh, popular. I mean, he, he loved this bhajan and that's why he made it a part of his public life. Okay, uh, any other question? I thought Dr. Shilpita Mitra's hand was up in the beginning. Any other question? I think she just posted a question in chat. Oh, okay. I don't see. Uh, if you see it, can you read it? Sorry. Um, regarding the critical part of Gandhian philosophy, do you think there is any watertight compartment between ethics and aesthetics? Actually, no. <laughs> There are, uh, he, that is, that is the point I'm actually making that for him, these were integrally linked. And of, the point is that often uh, in, in the critique of Gandhi, it is his utilitarian approach to art is kind of, is brought into focus. And uh, I am, I, I had begun, I have begun to see and I'm again, as I would say, I'm not making any kind of a theoretical, strong, uh, forceful argument. I'm, I'm just presenting my observations. And uh, what I found in Gandhi's writings and in writings about him is that for Gandhi, when he, he won't, uh, again, I'll refer to C.N. Patel. C.N. Patel says that he, Gandhi began to see all experiences of his, experiences of life as artistic. It, it was all the totality of life was uh, both aesthetic and an ethical ground for Gandhi. And uh, yeah, uh, no, there is no watertight compartment between the two. And uh, uh, it was certainly not so for Gandhi. Okay. Any other question by anybody? I see Professor Jonathan Edelman has just joined also. If you have any other question, we can ask Professor Bhatt. If not, uh, then uh, almost at the end of the presentation. Thank you. Thank you for very interesting questions. And thank you all for coming on a Friday evening, which is Still Thank you for a really intriguing talk. I think it's very rare. At least I, I've heard for the first time Gandhi's life and philosophy from this this kind of perspective. Of art so, and what better way to spend Friday night? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Tarini. Uh, yeah, so I'm very thankful to you for inviting uh, Flame and Professor Pankaj Jain for inviting me. And it has been my pleasure and honor to be with you. Thank you. Bye-bye.